Because creating jobs means creating the conditions for everyone to thrive. Because families know best what their children need for educational success. It's our job to listen and help make it happen. Because futures filled with opportunity are unlocked when you read, write, draw, discuss, and dream. Today on Because Radio, Language of Our Ancestors provides an opportunity to learn the Cree and Ojibwe languages in a supportive and fun environment. Read Every Day in Any Way works with health practitioners to promote childhood literacy. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker, The Shameless Circle, provides women who have been shamed with a sense of belonging. And we'll have highlights from the season premiere of Because and Effect with Canadian curling superstar Jennifer Jones. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number 21. My name is Robert Zirk. And I'm Sonny Promolo. It's been a really busy time here at the Winnipeg Foundation uh, with September underway. There have been a lot of events that we've been working on that have just happened, uh, most notably our vital conversation, Your Health, The Risks and Realities of Climate Change. And we're really excited to bring you coverage from the event. It just happened yesterday, but we'll bring you some coverage of the event next week on Because Radio. Absolutely. There was a lot of great information shared, the relation between health and the environment. Yeah, so look forward to it next week. Absolutely. We've got lots to uh, to get to on today's show as well. We'll be focusing on literacy, education, and employment. Our producer, Jeremy Morantz, has a great story this week. He spoke with the South Winnipeg Family Information Centre to learn more about their Read Every Day in Any Way program, and uh, that'll be coming up on the show. But to start things off, the focus of our foundation feature is on empowering Indigenous youth in governance and leadership, which is a youth-led national organization that provides young people age 15 to 35 with opportunities to build leadership skills, learn from mentors, network, and volunteer. One of their newest programs is called Language of Our Ancestors, and through classes and fun activities, it's providing participants with an opportunity to learn the Cree and Ojibwe languages in a supportive and fun environment. So to learn more, I spoke with Melanie Dean, the Executive Director of Empowering Indigenous Youth in Governance and Leadership, or EGLE, as well as Chelsea Mead and Jared Bone, who are volunteers with EGLE helping to coordinate the Language of Our Ancestors programming. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on literacy, education, and employment. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Melanie Dean, the Executive Director of EGLE, which is Empowering Indigenous Youth in Governance and Leadership, as well as Jared Bone and Chelsea Mead, who are helping to coordinate the language of our ancestors program with EGLE. Melanie, Jared, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. So for those of our listeners who are not familiar with EGLE, tell us about what EGLE is and what the goal of the organization is. 
So Empowering Indigenous Youth in Governance and Leadership, or EGLE, we like to call it, is um, a charitable organization that is youth-led by Indigenous um, youth local to Winnipeg. Um, but our reach is nationwide from coast to coast. Um, we work at the Chief Peg West Investments Building on Portage Avenue. And um, we work very closely with another organization, the Indigenous Leadership Development Institute. That's a nonprofit organization, and they took, take really good care of us. They provide us with a lot of the resources that Eagle does not have. So we piggyback on a lot of their projects. So we go to national conferences. Um, they support us through um, providing um, professional development opportunities for Indigenous young people across the country. Um, it gives them an opportunity to network with one another. And we look for young people. There's always young Indigenous people from coast to coast looking um, who have ideas of leadership, have ideas of governance. And um, they're looking for mentorship. They're looking for opportunities to learn and expand their network. So that's what Eagle does. Who would be eligible to participate in Eagle programming? So Eagle is open to anybody, um, even non-Indigenous people who are interested in learning a little bit more about the work that we do. Um, we add them to our contact list and they would get an email of volunteer opportunities. So for instance, um, for the month of September, every Friday at the Chief Pegwis building at 1075 Portage, we have um, hot dog days. So that's a fundraising thing we're doing every Friday, the month of September. So we would send that email out to our membership and anybody who wants to participate in that comes out and helps. And the more um, people that come out and support and volunteer for these things, the more we get to know them. And the more by doing that, we, um, we, we're able to provide them with more opportunities once we get to know them. So they have to put in the work in order to benefit from you know the fun travel stuff. What are some of the training programs that are offered through EGLE? One of the things that we do is um, ILDI, the Indigenous Leadership Development Institute, they deliver governance training or executive training across the country to different organizations and Indigenous communities. And it's led by um, Indigenous facilitators who mainly are retired and they come with decades of experience either as a chief, council, um, CEOs, um, been working in the public sector for all these years, administrators, and they bring their knowledge to our communities and develop the capacity within the community so they can do the, a lot of the work themselves. So EGLE, um, if there's any young people who are interested in beginning a career and facilitating those types of things, they would be matched with a mentor and they would travel out to the community and they would start by taking a piece of the agenda and eventually as they get more comfortable in the topic and acquiring the knowledge, they'll eventually just be leading these sessions on their own and we've seen that happen since we started in 2006. That's great. So it sounds like that collaboration with the Indigenous Leadership Development Institute really provides a way for young people to gain a lot of knowledge and experience from, you know, experienced leaders in the community. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, Language of Our Ancestors, which is a program that's launching this week. It's a program that is giving participants the opportunity to uh, to learn the Ojibwe and Cree language. And Chelsea and Jared, you're both involved in that program. Tell us a little bit about what the program's all about and how the program goes. 
Language of Our Ancestors is actually a nine-month youth-led language revitalization project geared toward providing foundational knowledge in Cree and Ojibwe languages. The project provides participants with nine months of in and outside classroom instruction, creative assignments to encourage real-world use and at-home family participation. And we end the year with a final cultural language immersion camp to utilize all the language skills that they've learned over the nine months. Beyond also learning a new language, what are some of the skills that people learn through having the opportunity to study Ojibwe and Cree? I think one of the main reasons we wanted to do this kind of project was to really build a community within Winnipeg. A lot of the times you hear fluent language speakers coming to the city and not really having, I guess, an outlook to speak their own language. So that's one of the aspects we wanted to really create. We also wanted to utilize social media as a tool in language revitalization. So we're going to be posting on our Facebook page, Ojibwe Words of the Days, little fun weekly challenges. We just really want to keep them involved, not only for two hours, a week, we want to really immerse them um, in any way we can. There's roughly about 90,000 Indigenous people within Winnipeg, and I was looking this up and there's, I think it came out to about less than 4% are actually speakers, so there's a huge gap there. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do, like Chelsea said, uh, we wanted to do rather, was develop this community of uh, speakers because a big thing about learning a language is not only just having the classes to teach, but also a community to go back and speak with. And uh, this is something that's personal to me because um, growing up, I, I was learning the language in a class and my grandma was teaching me. And then I, I lost it when I moved because there was no more classes. There wasn't that community for me anymore. So that's a really important part of uh, this project is to not only have this nine months of class, but to develop relationships with, between these people in these classrooms so that they continue learning outside as well. And that's so important because if you have, you know, if if you have that community, you know, you have people that you know that you can speak the language with or that you can ask questions and keep your learning going because it's difficult, I think, for anyone learning a new language if you're just using books or tapes or something, but you don't have that opportunity to practice, right? So that's really cool to have that community element where, you know, there might even be lasting friendships and people are, you know, continuing to develop their knowledge of languages. You mentioned as part of the program that there are some creative assignments that will be assigned to help learn the language. What are some, could you give me maybe one or two examples of what those assignments might look like? Yeah, definitely. I kind of try to stay away from words like class and assignments and stuff, but it's it's just easier to, to say those things. But I guess the, the creative assignments and stuff would be like, for example, we're doing a Bannock making class and just having like different speakers come in and, and talk about the having conversations, you know, and, and doing something. And also uh, something they might be able to do at home would be to go out and speak to three different people and just kind of break out in conversation uh, the stuff that they used in, in the class and then come back and speak about that afterwards. And it's it's fun like to, to talk about these things after in the classroom, just going out and kind of getting out of your shell and speaking to people, you know, and there's always like a, a funny story afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> 
Chelsea and Jared, I'll ask both of you, why were you interested in participating and helping to lead these programs? Why was it important for you personally? For me, language revitalization is so important. Throughout my life, I've always heard my grandparents speaking Cree or my aunties and uncles, even my little cousins speaking Cree around me. But as I grew older, I started understanding less and less, especially when I moved to a non-Cree community and then even less when I moved to the city of Winnipeg. And I think it just comes with that connection to home and your connection to your family. A lot of the times growing up when I was learning, I guess I would feel in a way guilty that I didn't know. I felt that I, well, I'm Cree, so I should know the language. But it wasn't until I grew up or started growing older, learning about the colonial impact that had on my own family. I started feeling less guilty and more interested in learning. I guess it's just language is such a big part of our culture and it really connects us to each other, our families, um, our communities, our people in general. So for me, it's I'm really passionate about learning our language in order to keep it alive. In my own community, we're mainly Ojibwe speakers and there might be a handful of Ojibwe speakers left. So I think a responsibility to myself and a responsibility to my family it's um, to try to learn as much as I can. For me, I really just enjoy teasing my friends and family. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a connection to uh, the past. You know, it's something that my ancestors have been speaking for who knows how long, thousands of years. And, you know, and I, I want to be a part of that. I want to be able to pass it on to my kids and my nephews, my nieces. And, you know, there's there's a number of reasons why, but that that just stands out to me. That connection, that's, that's who I am. It's important to have that self-identity. We really want to create a safe space for learning languages. Like I said previously, a lot of times people feel that shame of not knowing it. People feel that embarrassment of not being able to pronounce it. But what we really want to stress is that this is community learning. We're learning from each other. We want to create this family within Winnipeg. You know, we're there to laugh with each other. We're there to share stories. We're there to share our fears, our thoughts. But all in all, it's about respecting one another and being able to express ourselves in a really respectful way of each other. A little bit of a fun question. How would you say you're listening to Because Radio in Ojibwe and Cree? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just learning spot. too. I'm listening in Cree. I call my grandpa it. <laughs> <laughs> Natuto is listen, but that's about it. <laughs> Hopefully after the Cree classes, I'll be able to <laughs> translate okay. better. We'll have to do a follow-up afterward. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. There's two different ways in a, well, I guess probably more, but in Ojibwe, what I heard was Bizana Bin, but that might be shut up or listen, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. There's two words that are shut up and listen. So. <laughs> All right. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more, if they might know someone who is interested in getting involved and getting to learn the languages, how do people get involved? Yeah, so the the classes will be starting uh, September 11th for Cree and September 12th for Ojibwe. And Cree is running on Wednesdays, uh, 6.30 to 8.30 at the Manitoba Indigenous Cultural Education Center at 119 Sutherland Avenue. And Ojibwe will be every Thursday, same time and the same place. And if you're interested, you could contact me or Chelsea. I guess through email for me would be jareddbone at gmail.com. That's J-A-R-E-D 
D-B-O-N-E at gmail.com. Uh, my email is chelseamead at gmail.com. C-H-E-L-S-E-Y-M-E-A-D-E at gmail.com. If you are interested and you want to come, uh, please just drop in. Uh, there's no sign up. There's no really registration required. So if you just drop in, yeah, you're more than welcome to come. And we also have a Facebook page. It's just Language of Our Ancestors. You can find us on Facebook and yeah, just join the group and find out what's going on. And if any of our listeners would like to learn more about Eagle in general, uh, Melanie, where can they get more information? For more information about Eagle, they can call our office at 204-940-1700. Great. Thank you so much, Melanie, Jared, and Chelsea for speaking with me about Language of Our Ancestors and Eagle today. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Up next on Because Radio, producer Jeremy Morantz spoke with Carrie Costello, a nurse working to make major steps in improving Manitoba's literacy rates in partnership with the South Winnipeg Family Information Centre. The program she's developing is called Read Every Day in Any Way, and the program's goal is to encourage pediatricians to give their child patients a book after each checkup in hopes to spark reading at a young age. You're listening to Because Radio. I'm Jeremy Morantz, and I'm sitting here with Carrie Costello, the project manager for Read Every Day in Any Way in partnership with the South Winnipeg Family Information Center. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start out. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners just a very high-level summary of what the South Winnipeg Family Information Center is, and then we can get into the literacy program. All right, sounds great. So South Winnipeg Family Information Center um, has been around quite a while, and they are focused on families and supporting families in all their different aspects through early childhood, through the preteen, through the teen years. They have parenting classes, they have babysitting courses, they have ready, set, solo courses. So all of those are happening throughout the year. Um, they also have their closed closet program and that is a program that gives um, a pro free clothing, free appropriate clothing for inter job interviews to women. Um, and just so you know, that clothing drive is reopening on September 15th. So uh, we're looking for any sort of business attire, that kind of thing that you can drop off at South Winnipeg Family Information Center will get it to a great home. The South Winnipeg Family Information Center, of course, is all about providing resources to families in the community. So why do you think that strong families are integral and vital to the community? Well, we know that families and parents are the first teachers of their children um, all the way through life. They are the most important teachers of their children. And so if we can support these families, we support these children to become social partners in society. We be support them to become the best that they can be. And I think that is what is most important. We need to realize the importance of families in the future of our world as a whole. So that takes us into uh, the Read Every Day in Any Way project that you are managing. Tell us about it and uh, give, us, give us all the info. All right. So Read Every Day in Any Way is um, a partnership of many different organizations. We are working together to create a project that gives books and literacy information during health appointments. So this all began with um, two public health nurses, uh, Sylvia and Tracy in our area and myself, all sort of coming together to figure out how do we tackle the literacy pro problem in Manitoba. 
we know that we aren't a very strong pro- province in terms of literacy, and so how do we get this into the hands of everyone? We know from a published provincial stats that 90% of families do get their polio vaccination. So we know we can reach people with healthcare professionals. So there is a lot of evidence to show that this works. There's evidence coming out of the United States um, with the Reach Out and Read program. And so, and the Canadian Pediatric Society came out with a statement talking about how they would like their pediatricians to bring literacy into the practice of all doctors who work with children in Canada. And we know that it works. So we know that giving a book and uh, having a physician or nurse talk about literacy works. We know that it, um, that caregivers are four times more likely to read frequently to children. If this happens, they have higher receptive and expressive language skills. Um, if they're part of this intervention, parents place more importance on reading. When a book is given at a health appointment, all of a sudden it's sort of it gains importance in everybody's, oh yeah, right, that, I'm supposed to do that. And they need it often. So parents need continued encouragement. It can't happen just once. It needs to happen over the life of the, the, life of the young children. So this project is based for children zero to age five because we know if we can get them looking at books and interacting with books in that young age range, then they will succeed much better in school. We know, um, so that's the basis of it. And we know that to do this, we need to give support to our doctors and, and nurse practitioners and nurses who are going to be interacting because they aren't literacy ex- experts and we can't expect them to be. So this is very new for them. Um, we have had such wonderful buy-in from every doctor and nurse that we have talked to. It's been wonderful. Um, and basically, but we need to support them in that. So part of the project is creating a video and how to read in different ways so that both doctors and nurses can look at that, but also it can be shown directly to parents, directly to early childhood educators, other people who are interacting with children and, and hopefully supporting literacy in their very young lives. Um, It involves taking, uh, we have three books that will be made in Manitoba, and we'll take those books and we'll translate them into four different languages, so three Indigenous languages and French and English. So we're looking at Cree, um, Ojibwe, and um, Dene to start, and hopefully we'll get more (laughs) in future years, but that's where we're going to start, and so that people can interact in a language of their choice. And that's a big part of this is read every day in any way. You can read in any way. It doesn't matter. Uh, You don't have to sit on a couch and read the pages one by one. That's not all that reading is. Reading can be jumping around because there's a bunny on the page. It can be talking about the pictures. So we really want to get that idea into the into families, directly to families through the healthcare professionals who already have these appointments set up. They already have vaccination appointments. And the goal would be to give 10 books and have 10 little mini literacy sessions over the course of a child's life from zero to five. So to really get books in there straight away, right at the beginning, three months old, they're getting a vaccination. They also get a book and a talk about literacy. And that continues all the way until they're age five. Let's say I'm a parent and I, uh, I, I want to, I want to introduce my child into the, into the read every day in any way program. Walk me through like what the, the minutia and the almost, I guess, day to day process would be like for the child. Well, here's the thing. Parents don't have to do anything extra. The reason that we're going down this route, uh, talking and, and 
bringing on board health professionals is that there is nothing that the family has to do. They show up at the regular doctor's appointment that they would have anyway, or the regular appointment with their nurse practitioner. They walk through the door and they're going to get a book, a little talk about literacy, some information to take home, and, you know, maybe even um, a little modeling of, of how to read in different ways. And it just opens up a conversation. So if the parents are worried or if they're concerned or if they they can't get their kid to sort of sit on the couch and read, that doctor has the tools, that, that nurse has the tools and ideas of, well, then try, try doing this. Maybe you should just look at the pictures or it's okay if your child just wants to read one page of this book. It's okay that they're always opening to the, pa- the, the same page. Any way that you are getting a child exposure to print. That's the key is exposure to print, exposure to books so that they're not scary, they're not strange, they're just a normal part of their lives. And this is extremely key in low literacy households because if you can't read, trying to read to your child is a very scary endeavor. Um, so what we want to encourage is just, it doesn't matter. You don't have to read the words. It doesn't matter what language you're doing it in. It doesn't matter what, um, if you're reading the words. There are so many different ways to in, involve literacy in your everyday life without it having to be a sit down and read on the couch. If you're out and about, do you point out letters on a stop sign? If you're um, Throw a, a book in your diaper bag so that it's there's always one there. There are plenty of books that are just picture books, so it doesn't even have words. So therefore, there's not sort of, especially in low literacy households, there's not that scary moment of, I can't actually read the words. But for a child, it doesn't matter. And we're talking like you should be reading to your child when they're born, as a baby. Get those books in them. If they're chewing on the book, that's okay. That's literacy. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but it is. So we really want to encourage families just to make it a part, make it an easy part of their everyday life. Um, And that's what the doctors are doing. And they don't have to add anything to get to be a part of the program. We have our pilot site set up. And if if they go to those pilot sites, they will get this program. That all sounds so fantastic. My question is, what's the long game goal here that you're going for? What do you hope the results years down the line will look like? Well, right now we're focusing on certain areas. So we're focusing on children um, with disabilities. We're focusing on low income and people with other socioeconomic problems. So we're really focusing in on those because we feel like those might be the people that we need to support the best right now. Um, Our goal would be for it to be province-wide that every child throughout Manitoba gets 10 books free at their doctor's appointment, lots of information about literacy, every child. And in that way, we're just reminding parents in this technological age where we're on phones and all these things that, you know what, this is one thing you can do for your child that is so important. And it can really change the outcome of Canada and change the outcome of Manitoba. Um, We know from, again, from published um, works that we're ranked nine out of 10 provinces right now in terms of literacy, which is, which is not great. <laughs> and it's, it does have huge economic and social consequences. Low literacy levels, they cost the Canadian economy billions. There's the people with low literacy suffer poorer health and add disproportionately to that cost of health care because they can't necessarily read prescriptions or understand the information they're getting. It drives up social assistance cost, and we know that 70% of those entering um, the prison system have low literacy levels. So we really, we know that there's a cost to this. And so if we can improve it, in the early years, because that's when we can affect the most change. Any money we put in, in the zero to five, is going to save millions, if not billions, down the road. So if we can get to those people, to every 
family in Manitoba and say, hey, reading's important. Don't forget about it. Don't forget about it. Hey, 10 appointments, you're saying, don't forget about this. Do it every day in any way you can. We can really change the, the path that we're on and really get to be the most improved province. And we really support those children and those families and say, hey, we know this is hard. We know there's a lot going on, but let's make this a priority. And the fact that the Canadian Pediatric Society is putting out something saying, hey, doctors, this is really important. You need to bring it into your practice tells you how much of a health issue it is. It's not just a social issue. It's also a health issue. So that's pretty strong evidence. (laughs) Lastly, If listeners out there are interested in getting involved with the program or learning more about the Read Every Day in Any Way program or the South Winnipeg Family Information Center, what information do you have? Please go on our website. It's swific.org. That's S-W-F-I-C dot O-R-G. So swific.org. There's all the information about the closed closet, the parenting programs and drop-in programs. They have um, drop-in programs for seniors as well as for young uh, families with young children. Um, We also, there's a read every day in any way tab on there. So you can go on there and you can contact me directly. Um, My name's Carrie and my email is on there and you can contact me directly if you want more information specifically about this program or get on the list to be involved in future years. Carrie Costello, read every day in any way. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Jeremy Morantz, and this is Because Radio. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, I've been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of our Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker is the Shameless Circle, a community empowering and supporting women who have been isolated and made to feel ashamed. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Sarah, co-founder of The Shameless Circle, a community for women who, due to any set of circumstances, have felt ashamed and are seeking a sense of belonging in the community. Thanks for coming on Because Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us why Shameless Circle started? Shameless Circle stemmed out of a personal experience. My ex-husband had installed cameras and he had threatened to release intimate images of myself on the internet. And after that incident, I felt really ashamed, although I hadn't done anything wrong, but it just left me with a feeling of deep shame. And I felt isolated. I sort of got cut out from the community I was a part of. And that led me to believe that uh, there is more that can be done for women who who are going through similar situations. And I just met with the other person who was the co-founder as well. Her name's Katie. She's not in Canada at the moment. We just met at Polo Park and we said, you know what, we need to do something for women who are going through similar situations. And how about we just do um, healing circle sessions? And that's how the Shameless Circle started. How did you get to this point? It couldn't have just been just like that. It happened. So how did you get to this point today? As soon as we launched the Shameless Circle, we got an overwhelming response from the community. So many people started calling us, um, texting us, um, emailing us that they resonate with the idea that they've been shamed at one point in their lives. And it was a universal experience that people shared with us. So it was just not 
women calling or texting or letting us know that we they've been shamed for reasons as well. It was also men. So we started growing and I personally wanted to empower women that they have a place to go every Sunday if they're feeling isolated or shamed. They they should know that there's a place they can go, they can share their experiences and they won't be judged. And that's how we started creating more and more programs. We asked a self-defense instructor to come in and do a class and that was a hit. And then we said, okay, let's do that once a month regularly. So that took off really well. And then we decided to do some more community workshops and so eventually it just really took off. Without mentioning any names, what are some of the lived experiences that you've heard since this circle's emergence? There are many. The most one is publication of intimate images or the threat of uh, publication of intimate images actually. I think that's one of the most emerging topics that we sort of come across. The other is if a woman decides to leave an abusive relationship, then we still shame the woman. We've also come across instances where a woman is not drinking anymore, and then she's shamed because she's lost her friends. So it's all over. There's a huge list that people just resonate with. What are some common misconceptions people have about the people that are being shamed for things? And what are some ways that people can overcome this stigma? I normally tell our participants that shame is a feeling that if you let if you let it get to you, that's how you feel ashamed. If you if you just sort of stand tall and say, I'm not going to be shamed for something else someone else has done to me, I'm not owning that shame, then it's it's not going to bother you. The misconception about shame is that I think in instances For our participants, basically, shame is used as a tool to keep them in check or control them. So I think when we when we say, hey, I'm not letting you shame, I'm not letting you shame me, I'm not not letting you humiliate me anymore. That's our that's where we take the power back. Definitely. Taking control back of your own self and your own identity is very powerful, of course. So we mentioned earlier that the circle is for women, uh, shamed for any set of circumstances. The issues you face are all inclusive, but also quite daunting. So why take on such a large task? I think there, there's, there's a lot of healing circle programs that are going on, but we wanted to take this really interesting take on shame. Being shameless does not mean that you're doing something wrong. Being shameless means I'm not giving you the power of shaming me. So, and I think based on what I experienced, it was important because I owned the story and I went public with my story and I told people that I'm not owning the shame that he's put me through. So I'm overcoming that shame and other women can do so too. Your programming is definitely very helpful to a lot of people out there. So speaking of being helpful, what types of services and activities do you offer to the community? We meet every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. at Daniel McIntyre St. Matthews Community Center. Once a month, we do a a typical healing session, a healing circle session. And then we have our, once a month, we also have our self-defense class. We do yoga in the park. We do taekwondo, kickboxing. We are having a paint night soon. So we have different things that women can look forward to every Sunday if they don't, if they feel that they are isolated or they've been shamed, they can come together and they can sort of feel that sense of belonging, that they belong somewhere. All our events are free of charge. Kids are welcome, we provide refreshments and registering for our events is, is super simple. You just go on our Facebook page or our website and you can let us know which one you'd like to uh, register for. Just shoot us an email and then we send you back an email confirming that you've been registered. To have a lot of those programs, your group requires a ton of community support, uh, which is why you'll be holding your very first fundraiser. Uh, can you tell us about it? Absolutely. Our first fundraiser is on the 14th of September. I think we are blessed. We are really, truly great, grateful to have such an overwhelming support from our community members. We've sold 50% and we are still looking 
for people to purchase tickets. We have three speakers lined up. Our keynote speaker is um, Rochelle Squire. She's the minister responsible for the status of women. Our guest speakers include Mitch. Um, he works with Mama Bear Clan. Another is Craig Heisinger. Mr. Zinger is the assistant general manager for the Jets. So, um, and all, everyone will be speaking to their own sets of stories that they resonate. Mr. Zinger is huge on mental health matter and Rochelle will be sharing her own story. And people from all across Winnipeg and even Manitoba have taken keen interest. Our sponsors are awesome. We are so grateful for Sonova to sponsor our first annual fundraising dinner and we also have a ton of other sponsors. Um, So yeah, it's looking good. I'm excited about it. So it's the 14th of September. Doors open at 6 p.m. It's at the Irish Association of Manitoba. And tickets are $85 per person. We have a cash bar. We have door prizes. Um, we have a four-course meal. So yes, please go online and purchase some tickets. What will the funds be used for? So we, we are taking, again, a unique approach to providing funding for women. We will be launching our Empower Me Fund. And the fundraiser is actually for the Empower Me Fund. So women, once the fund is launched, women can apply for a one-time Um, funding for something that empowers them that could be as small as a cup of tea with a friend, a haircut, or some assistance with college um, application fee. So it varies. Anything that helps you overcome a traumatic experience and it gives you the power back, we're all in for that. So the funds that we'll be collecting will be, all the 100% of proceeds will go towards the Empowerment Fund. We'll have a form on our website, fill that form out, everything will be confidential, our board will meet monthly and then we'll evaluate if funds are available. Of course, pertinent to funds being available, then we'll be helping women in this way. That truly sounds amazing. For those looking to attend the fundraiser or just learn about The Shameless Circle, where can they go? Our website is www.theshamelesscircle.org or our Facebook page is The Shameless Circle. Um, everything is on there. So I would encourage everyone to go on and check it out. Thanks to Sarah and the entire Sharing Circle for sharing their story of impact. Uh, if you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474 extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474 extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. Up next on Because Radio, Season 2 of the Because and Effect podcast is here. The debut episode of the new season features Canadian curling superstar and legend Jennifer Jones. Because and Effect host Nolan Bicknell will be joining us momentarily to share some highlights from their conversation, and that's next up here on Because Radio. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined in studio by Nolan Bicknell. He is the host of the Because and Effect podcast with uh, season two having just launched, and you can find all of the episodes of the podcast online at becauseandeffect.org. Nolan, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Rob. Thanks. Good to be back. 
So season two of the podcast has uh, has officially launched. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Tell us about the first episode with Jennifer Jones. Sure, yeah. Curling legend and Canadian icon Jennifer Jones. Uh, obviously, the gold medal in 2014 was her big claim to fame, but she has uh, a list of accolades too long to name. All sorts of gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals, world championships. She's done it all in the curling sphere. So it was really cool to get to talk to her about curling and about volunteerism, about the causes she care about, she cares about, and just sort of uh, yeah, just having a good little chat with a with a local Winnipegger and and proud Manitoban. I think this episode of Because and Effect is also notable because it's the first one that didn't really take place in studio. That's this right. one actually happened on location at the uh, Granite Curling Club uh, downtown in Winnipeg, or actually in West Broadway, I should say. So what were some of the biggest takeaways from uh, the conversation you had with Jennifer? She's so humble, so like just breathing humility throughout the entire conversation and it was pretty cool to just see her team training a little bit before uh, we sat down to talk they were just chatting it up and and training in the granite curling club which was really cool but yeah like i said before just incredibly humble incredibly poised respectful responsible grateful for the position she's in and just has a really good perspective on life like we talked about how she's raising her daughter she has a six-year-old and i think a two or three-year-old right now and and one is in gymnastics so it was kind of interesting to see jennifer talking about that and and how she sort of approaches guiding her kids when it comes to sports and just the general perspective on how you should approach life I always tell my my daughter who's in gymnastics, nobody will nobody can ever outwork you because you can control that. It, it, there's a lot of things outside of our control in life, but how we behave, how we react, how hard we work, that's all within our control. And as long as you go out there and you work your hardest, you're always going to feel good about yourself and I always I always tell my kids to chase their dreams, to never ever let anybody tell them they can't accomplish anything and that's why they'll say that if I if they ask if you were to ask them they would say that they can do anything. Chase your dreams is great advice, and it's even more poignant coming from a world champion who has done just that and is is still doing that. So even after winning all of these championships, is Jennifer still does she still have curling dreams that she's still chasing? Yeah, we like I said we uh, interviewed her at the Granite Curling Club, and she was there training. They're looking to the towards the next uh, Winter Olympics, and we talked about just sort of how she doesn't really worry about winning and losing anymore, but she just loves curling so much. And that's, that's what it's all about. I didn't sign up for curling because I thought I was going to win the Olympics one day. I signed up for curling because I loved it. Yeah. Like I still think I love it as much or more than anybody. Like I love the feeling of being out there. So if I'm out there and I'm not enjoying it, then why am I doing this? And so I didn't want competing to take away the joy of why I loved the sport in the first place. That's a great perspective. So I understand a lot of what you talked about had to do with how how curling and how sports in general affected Jennifer. Um, was there a moment that really encapsulated uh, her thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, exactly. She talked a lot about the confidence and kind of the sense of belonging that sports and curling and brought her. And she kind of wanted to make a point that she wants every single person to have that opportunity. Man, woman, child. She just thinks that team sports in general are such a great thing to get people confident and and make people make people have a sense of belonging as well sport has changed my life i was um 
this young girl, shy wallflower who couldn't look at anybody in the eyes. And now I can go and curl in front of millions of people on TV and speak in front of thousands of people. And sports changed that for me. Team sports, being involved in sports gave me confidence, a community. It gave me friends. I had a hard time making friends because I was so shy. And then all of a sudden I was in a sporting community and I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life. And I think about those kids that never feel like they belong. And that makes me sad because there's this whole community that if they could just become a part of, it's almost an instant family. And another of the families that Jennifer is involved in is the Special Olympics, where she volunteers her time and energy. What did she have to say about uh, her time helping out and volunteering with the Special Olympics? You could tell she was extremely passionate about making sure everyone gets the opportunity to play sports. Uh, I actually got goosebumps when she told this story about one of her experiences. Uh, I think it was at a basketball game at the Special Olympics. Honestly, it's the most emotional thing I've ever experienced when I went to my first Special Olympic event for the first time. And I was talking to the families and they were very emotional talking to me about how their their kids never had one friend. And all of a sudden now they've got this social network. And it's life changing. It gives them confidence that they can lead a normal life and um, and they, they, they belong. Everybody, every person in the world should feel like they belong. And I know that we all don't. And so I believe that we, as people, have an obligation to try to include people. And that's why I love the inclusion revolution of the uh, Special Olympics movement, because we all should be included as one society, as one family, as one community, as Canadians. And um, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. Now, because and effect is all about the causes that people care about and the effect that those causes have on their lives. What other causes did you talk about with Jennifer? Well, as we mentioned, the Special Olympics. Uh, she also talked about her time on the board of the Sandra Schmerler Foundation, which is all about young infant health. And there was many others that she's passionate about, but there's many others that she is passionate about. But when we talked about the volunteerism that her mom and late father inspired, um, just sort of the volunteerism that goes into almost every curling event, you can tell that it was something Jennifer was extremely grateful for. All the, the great things and the great moments that I've experienced in my life, that our team has experienced, um, would not have happened without volunteers. We could have been curling which would have been okay, but we could have been curling on a, in a curling club ice with 10 people watching. And instead we got to have the Olympic trials at the MTS center in front of all of Winnipeg because Winnipeggers t stepped up and volunteered. So that never ever goes unnoticed. And the fact that, uh, those people were the reason that our dreams came true, mm -hmm. um, is something that thank you just never seems good enough. Well, I have to say you've definitely led off with a, a wonderful conversation for the first episode of season two of Because and Effect. And uh, I understand you've got a, a whole bunch of great interviews lined up for us uh, in the weeks to come. Who else do you have lined up for this season? Sure, yeah, there's a ton of great conversations. A couple that I've had already and a couple that are scheduled for the weeks to come. Next week is one of my favorites of all time, um, Dr. Ian Morrow, who's a filmmaker and climate change expert. He's also on the panel of the Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Conversation that took place yesterday. I understand we've got some coverage of that coming up next week. And he's worked with David Suzuki and many others on films 
during his quest to educate people on climate change. Um, but we've also got local uh, extraordinary chef Ben Kramer, Claire Mackay from The Forks, uh, another Olympian and fellow Winnipegger Janine Stevens, and so many more conversations. Everyone that I've got lined up is I'm really excited to share with people. It's going to be a good season. That's fantastic. And we look forward to hearing those conversations. Uh, new podcasts of Because and Effect are online every Tuesday. You can go to becauseandeffect.org to subscribe. I'd say hurry over uh, with the hurry hard. little curling reference. Be sure to go there to subscribe and to listen to all of the episodes as they come out. And you can also uh, subscribe through whatever podcast player you use, Apple, Google, Spotify, um, because an effect is there just search for because an effect and uh, you'll find it there nolan thank you so much uh, for joining me again today and for sharing highlights from your conversation thanks for having me appreciate it Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert and Sonny here with you today, and we're just about to uh, to say goodbye today, but we wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of what's coming up on the show next week. We'll have highlights from the vital conversation, which is your health, the risks, and realities of climate change. I had the chance to speak to Kim Parada. She is the Senior Director of Climate Health and Policy at the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, or CAPE, and uh, she was the keynote speaker at last night's vital conversation. So we'll learn more about her work and what she's hoping that people will, uh, will take away from the discussion about climate change and your health. Absolutely. And you can also hear about my discussion with the next Winnipeg Impact Maker, Farm Fresh Food Hub, on their sustainable developments and their South Osborne's Farmers Market. And we'll also have highlights from the next episode of Because and Effect, which will feature Ian Morrow, and he is one of the panelists from The Vital Conversation. He's also the co-director of the Prairie Climate Centre, and uh, we'll hear his insights and about why he decided to focus his life's work on the impacts of climate change and how that affects our health as well. So it'll be a very interesting episode, and we hope you tune in. Absolutely. It'll be an episode full of great stuff. But that's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. And if you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or you can email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at wpgfdn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Sonny Promolo. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. <laughs>